Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. God is good. Amen, church. We are so glad that you guys are joining us uh, online yet again. We, honestly, we have no idea exactly of when that's going to uh, when that's going to change, but we're definitely going to rejoice when it does. Now, there's this strange, obscure video that's going online that shows Chris Farley running down the aisles, and, and everybody's saying that this is exactly how it's going to be for pastors the week that we get back, but uh, uh, maybe it is. What's it to you? Oh, it's so, going to be. <laughs> it's going to be. We're going to be running and jumping and singing and praising, so it's going to be a really awesome time. Well, this morning, we have a really important message for you, and the message uh, includes both Barney and myself because what we really want to get at this morning is this question, what is church? We really want to understand that because I think in times like this, we are... Um, we're, we struggle. We're confused. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of opinions floating around mm-hmm. out there, and we want to make sure that we're, um, we're uh, going to the Scriptures to discover what it is that we're supposed to be doing as Christians, especially in really strange times like these. So we're going to jump in. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with us to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to spend our time in verses 19 through 26. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 26. These are the words of God. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, over the past uh, two weeks, we focused our attention on issues that are of particular importance for us in our current times. In week one, we looked at this balance, uh, I say balance, we, we look at what we need to understand about fear and faith. There is, in some ways, a balance of fear in that we should revere God. We just have to understand what kind of fear we're talking about. So we talked about faith and we talked about fear. Last week, we looked at a really important, uh, we took a really important look in the mirror, and we discovered what truly sets us apart as Christians, and I hope you were able to check that message out, because you should recall that what makes us different is not compassion, it is not charity, it isn't love or justice, but instead, the only thing that sets us apart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a message. And what's so important about that message is that this is how God operates. God created the world through speaking. He is recreating the world the same way. 
he, he saves people through this spoken word. So we need to understand that very well. But today, in keeping with these timely issues, we are going to look at the question of what constitutes church, or as we see here, what is church? And in particular, we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to assemble together, and what does that have to do with sanctification? Because it's all intimately connected as we move forward. So I want to set the stage uh, as we jump into this, and then we'll, we'll uh, see exactly where we get to today. Uh, there, there is a lot to what we want to share with you today, so we're going we're gonna to just hunker down and try to get through everything that is, that is on our minds and on our hearts because it is very important as we move forward. So no doubt you've seen posts on social media asserting the idea uh, that in these unprecedented times, the church has the opportunity to, quote, be the church rather than uh, go to church. And of course, there is a measure of truth in just about everything that is thrown out there. And so this is an essential idea that we can't ever forget. We are the church. As the people of God, we constitute the church. The church does not consist in buildings or structures. Now, we, uh, we see in the scripture passages like what we read in Acts or in Galatians where the authors will write to the churches of a particular area. And all they're identifying is a region in which people exist. So again, it's really about people. Yeah. In, this, in these uncertain times that we live, it's very easy to lose sight of what the church really is. These are strange days that we're, that we're living in. So uh, uh, our day-to-day -day life has been somewhat turned upside down so that we, we know that uh, what was routine once before just a few short weeks ago is no longer routine. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely been turned on its head. Uh, with this idea that we are the church, there is something that is often missed, and I need you to hear this, church. The thing that is often missed in the assertion that we don't go to church, but that we are the church, is that fancy little word, we, right? We are the church. And I need you to repeat this after me, church. I need you in front of your kids, in front of the people that you've gathered around your, your television or your computer. Here's what I want you to repeat. I do not constitute a church by myself. Say it with me. I do, I do not, not constitute, constitute a church, church by, by myself. myself. There is a we in all of this. And so no matter what we think about the building, we have to keep in mind the we. Many times we'll pe people will say, well, we don't go to church. We are the church. That, that sadly has become an excuse for people to not assemble with the saints. And here's, here's why. Many people say, well, the church is imperfect. I've been hurt. Uh, all of these things. Well, guess what, church? Uh, if you ever find a perfect church, as the pastors always say, don't go anymore because you'll ruin it, right? Yeah. The, the, the reality here is we are what make the church imperfect, but that doesn't mean we get to stop assembling with God's people. It becomes an excuse for us to just avoid being the church. A building happens to simply be an easy target for disdain. The people who say, we are the church, not the building, what they don't often have the um, chutzpah, that's a fun word, what they often don't have the chutzpah to do is to say, I don't like people. 
or I don't like this system because I've been hurt. What we ought to say is, is God has called us to assemble in a we. We are the church. So this is really, really important as we move forward. Now, on the other hand, there's, a, there's another challenge, right? There are churches, even some in our local community, which Barney and I have, have wrestled through uh, how to communicate this idea uh, over the past week and a half. But there are churches, even in our community, that believe that whatever happens on Sunday morning inside of their building displays, always displays, true church. And therefore, uh, if you're not in that building, if you're not with them at every time the doors are open or something like this, then somehow you are violating a biblical standard. And, and so just hear me clearly, this is simply not true. This is simply not true. Add to that that even when the local governing officials ask these churches and businesses, by the way, uh, this is a really important matter as well. It would be different if the government had come across, the, across the, the television and news stations and told churches that they should not meet. Everybody is on some kind of stay-at-home order right now. Everybody is under some kind of quarantine. This is not some grand conspiracy to shut the churches down, okay? And so uh, even when governing officials ask these churches not to gather in groups of 10 or more, the churches resist, and here's why they resist. They resist and say, we're the ones walking by faith. Or they say, we got to obey God and not man. The same Bible that tells us that we should obey God is the same Bible that says submit to your governing authorities, right? All of it is together. What we have to do is, as week one, uh, I shared deeply, we have to walk in wisdom. We have to walk in wisdom as we move forward. So here what we, here's what we have. We have two fundamental misunderstandings. There are those who fail to see the we in church. There's a catchy phrase for you. There are those who fail to see the we. That is uh, the necessity of assembling together. And then there are those who include their buildings or their systems in the we. Okay? So this is where it gets a little bit out of, out of kilter. These are those who don't have what we're going to call today a good theology of tools. Okay, they, they don't have a good theology of tools. They don't understand what tools need to be used, when, and how this plays out. I, I borrowed that term from a pastor that I respect, Doug Wilson, uh, in his new book, Productivity. So a theology of tools, and we're going to explore that uh, further in just a bit. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 26, are going to become vital for us in our understanding. They're going to bring clarity to all of these issues. So as we jump into this, I'm going I'm to establish some gospel truths inside of this message, and then we're going to move into the theology of tools and all of those pieces. So as we go to Hebrews, uh, the gospel is simply screaming at us from just a few verses. So let's start at verse 19, and we'll go through 22, verse A. Uh, here's, here's the foundation for what follows, okay? Here's the foundation for what follows. Verses 19 through 22A. Again, these are the words of God. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated, and he here is Jesus, for us through the veil, what is the veil? That is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, 
let us. And we're going to talk about these three statements that come after this. So what Jesus did for us here is unbelievably big, church. It's unbelievably big, and it is a fulfillment of everything that we read about the Old Testament. So we're going to explore that really quick. You'll recall that uh, uh, once per year, a priest would be chosen by lots to go into the Holy of Holies to offer a sin sacrifice for the people. Uh, they would tie a rope on this priest's leg in, in case he happened to die while he was in there in the Holy of Holies so they could drag him out so that no one was going to go into the presence of God. They wouldn't even chance going in and dragging out a dead a dead priest. I'm going to tie so, a rope to Barney's yeah, leg exactly. when he goes into my office. Anyway, okay, <laughs> so, so different, different story. So nobody would even think about that. But it was a great privilege for the priest to be able to enter the presence of God. Now think about that today. You will remember that when Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil was torn in two. This, is, this established that Jesus is now the way, the only way to God. Jesus is now our great high priest. Yeah, so here, here is the bigger piece of the gospel inside of all of this. First of all, we are to have confidence to enter the holy place. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus that was sprinkled over us. Uh, anybody who understands the Old Testament or understands what has been communicated through these old uh, stories and this Levitical law understands that the priest would make a cleansing. It would, uh, it would provide a cleansing and uh, afford an opportunity of meeting for the people of God. Now, this comes via a high priest, but our high priest is Jesus, of course. And so it would come through a high priest, and we have that now, but the, the blood that was sprinkled was done in such a way as to cleanse and to provide a meeting with God. All of this, all of what Jesus did was to bring us to a right communion with God. This is why in Hebrews 10, what we see is his body, which is the veil, that's broken for us. What do we, where do we get this from? Mark 14, we see this in Jesus' uh, Jesus's blessing of the communion elements. His body is broken for us. What does his blood do? It is the new covenant in his blood. You see, the blood was sprinkled over the, uh, the mercy seat. It was sprinkled in the Holy of Holies, and it created a cleansing for the people and an opportunity to meet God. And what would happen in that meeting? God disseminated mercy. That's why it was called in the Old Testament the mercy seat. Now, I want to read something to you that was written by N.T. Wright, just a powerful statement for you uh, to keep in your mind. Strictly speaking, the lid, that is the mercy seat, that's one rendering of the term, which is lid, but it's not an accurate rendering, right? So uh, when we think of the mercy seat, we should not be thinking of a literal seat like what I and Barney are sitting on right now. What we should think of is the Old Testament passages that say things like uh, that the heart is the seat of your emotions. In other words, 
It's the place from which your emotions or life would flow. The mercy seat was the place from which God's mercy was disseminated to people. Now, what's really important here is that the blood of Jesus and his veil, his body broken for us, was what made it possible for us to receive that mercy. Because now we can commune with God, we can meet with God because we are cleansed before God. So N.T. Wright goes on and says, uh, strictly speaking, the lid was not a place of mercy. It was not the place of mercy. It was instead a place of meeting and cleansing. God is the place of mercy. He's the one who gives the mercy. This was where God met with his people, and in order for this to take place, it was where the priest cleansed the sanctuary from the defiling effects of the past sins of Israel with what? The sprinkled blood of the sacrifice. So what we're seeing connected here, what gospel we're seeing here, is without Jesus' blood, without his body being the veil through which we can commune with God and receive mercy, we have nothing, church. We, We literally have nothing. But in light of what Jesus has done, we have everything. And so what we're going to see is the everything that he has given us, but we're also going to see the everything he has called us to. The everything that he has given us is life and life abundantly. Don't we know that? Don't we know that there is not a spirit of fear that's been given to us, but a new spirit, the spirit of God, which is of power and love and, and discipline? Don't we know all of those benefits? Of course we do. But now let's see what we're called to. And this is where it's going to connect to what is church. It's going to connect to those pieces in the exact same context of Hebrews 10. So what I'm going to share with you now or what I call the three let us statements. Don't say that too fast, or your wife might correct you and call them the lettuce statements, right? So this, this little green leaf. No, it's, it's the let us statements. Here's the first one, and you can find it in verse 22. So it says, in light of, in light of this veil of Jesus' body letting us into the temple, and light of his blood being sprinkled on the mercy seat that cleanses us and provides us communion and a meeting with the God of mercy. Look at what he calls us to. He says, number one, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Remember, it cleansed us an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Powerful language. This is a drastic turn from what the folks in, in, the, old, in the Old Testament have done, which is having to drag people out of if, if they died. Drawing near, this idea of drawing near to God, no one wanted to draw near in a physical sense or even in a spiritual sense to God. James 4.8 says to us, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's a different picture of God than what we have been seeing or what had been seen in the past of, of being concerned about somebody dying in the presence of God and nobody wanted to go in yes. to drag them out. Now, this is a, an important connection because if you miss here what we've just shared, you would say, doesn't that confirm, Nathan, doesn't that confirm, Barney, that there's a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament? Here's why that's not the case. You see, the high priest was commissioned with making it to where we could draw near to God and he would draw near to us. But the high priest of the Old Covenant was a man. And he fell short continually. But who is our high priest now? It is Jesus. And let me ask you a quick question, church. Does he ever falter? 
He never fails. So this is why verse 22 says, same God, same God that chooses to disseminate mercy at the seat, the meeting place and the cleansing place of his people. The same God is there, but now we have a better high priest. We have one that will never falter. And so he says, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Hold on a second, Nathan. This is, this is challenging, right? Because I have troubles with my faith at times. There are times when I don't understand what God is doing. This is not the faith that is in view here. The faith in view here is in the instrument. You can struggle with how God created the world. You can struggle with what God is doing in your life. You can struggle with the concerns of coronavirus and what's going on with us. But here's what you, here's what you should have full assurance of. Jesus is the right high priest. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt when we fail, he does not. Amen? So this is a huge deal. And so what we're resting in is our hearts have been sprinkled clean. Not by the the blood of a lamb or a blood of a goat. Not by a, a human sacrifice. But by the one, Jesus Christ, who has paid for the sins of humanity. We just have to trust him, okay? So, in light of all of that glorious truth that Jesus has done for us, the blood and the veil, in light of providing for us a mercy seat or a meeting at the mercy seat, here's what we are called to do. Draw near. We are called to draw near with a sincere heart. So, verse 23 goes on and gives us our second let us statement. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, if we stopped there, we might say that sounds like a repeat of what has just been stated. It's not, and here's why. Because the final part of that verse is important. For he who promised is faithful. Why are we holding fast to the confession of our hope without wavering? Not because of our works, not because of our ability to to be good spiritual citizens in the kingdom of God all the time. Because let's just be honest, we're not all the time. What we're doing here is holding fast to the confession of our hope. Here's the confession of our hope. God makes promises and God keeps promises. God who makes promises keeps promises. Now, this brings up a really hard issue that we find warring together in the church or uh, battling it out in the church. And that is the issue of which promises apply. Doesn't the Bible say all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus? Well, they absolutely are. But the right way of rendering that or reading that would be to look to the Old Testament and realize Jesus was always at work. It, it, the, the, the third person of the Trinity or the second person of the Trinity, I don't care how you number it, the second person of the Trinity didn't just appear in the New Testament. He, didn't, he wasn't created. He always was, which means when the promise was made to Abraham that Isaac would be uh, a descendant, Jesus was the one in whom that promise was yes and amen. That's the right way of rendering what we've read in Scripture. Guess what? That promise doesn't apply to us. God did not promise all of us we are going to have a son named Isaac. It's just, that would be patently absurd, right? So what we have to remember is God is a promise-making God, and God is a promise-keeping God. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, and there are promises that have gone away that were made to certain people, and they were absolutely fulfilled to those certain people. 
We have new and better promises, the writer of Hebrew would go on to say, and that would be that Jesus, our high priest, ensures us victory. What a powerful truth, okay? So let us hold fast what? The confession of our hope. What is that hope? The one who promises keeps. That's what we should trust in. What has he promised already? That his blood has cleansed us and he has brought us to the mercy seat through his veil, the veil of his flesh, so that we can commune with mighty God. Isn't that amazing? So now we roll into uh, verses 24 through 26. And this is, this is a, little, uh, a little big for us because this is where we get to what is church. Verse 24, and let us consider, statement number three, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this is where many people's Bibles uh, put a chapter, uh, a chapter break, or, or they put a, a, a heading break in the chapter, and it causes you to think he's changed subjects. He hasn't changed subjects, and it's very important. So he goes on, and he says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Okay, Nathan, what does all that have to do? Well, let's deal with the sin issue right off the bat. Those three let us statements are let us statements in light of what Jesus did in the temple. What Jesus does so that we can commune with the mercy dispensing God, the God of the universe, okay? What he has done. If we, in view of that, don't walk as he has called us to do, don't walk with a full assurance of faith. Don't walk knowing that he has made a promise and he's going to keep a promise. If we don't walk letting us consider how to stimulate one another on towards love and good deeds, mark my words, the Bible is clear. The writer of Hebrews says, you're walking in sin. You're walking in sin. Now that may be challenging for us to hear, but it is still true nonetheless. So, uh, so we see the sin issue, but now let's just zoom in a little bit to what we're supposed to do here. First thing, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Don't let that go out of your mind this morning. What our job, what the church is here for, is to stimulate one another on to love and good deeds. Do you know who the one another is? It's the people of God. This is why the church is not made for the world. The church is on mission to the world. The church is composed of covenant people. It's, it's composed of people washed in the blood of Jesus. What a powerful truth, okay? So let us, well, there's that we statement again, right? There's that togetherness. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And look at this. This is how we do it not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. The, the book of Hebrews was known to be written uh, before 70 AD, and the reason for this justification for its dating is that in Hebrews 10 and in Hebrews 13, there are references to what happened on a consistent basis within the temple. Well, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So if the letter was written after 70 AD, the author may have said, uh, as was the case when the temple existed. But he's speaking as though it's still there. So this is why scholars say it's written before 70 AD. 
But just think about this. That, that subject is just kind of geekiness. Here, here's what's really important. Uh, what we learn from all of this, what we learn from all of this, is that we are, um, we are encouraging one another. We are doing this as the day draws near. We're to do this. And people in that day, this is 40 years after Jesus dies and rises again, they'd already forsaken the assembling together. Okay, it doesn't take people long to be people. How many of you know that, <laughs> right? It doesn't take us long to go, you know what? I'm going to go golfing on Sunday. That's what I think I'm going to do, and I think it sounds better. And yes, that was right directed at you, Phil Gammon. So, but, so the idea is that even in the beginning of the church's life, people were already in the habit of doing this, and the writer calls that sin. So what we have to do is forsake not the assembling together, and in that assembly, we have to ask the question, what are we trying to do? Well, there's many things that we're supposed to do. Scripture tells us to encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and, and it talks about uh, hearing the word of God and, and believing in those promises and trusting in what God is saying and being encouraged and built up. Because why? Because all God's word is useful for teaching and training and rebuking and uh, you know, all of this. But we are to stimulate one another on towards love and good deeds. And that's what we're doing inside of all of this. So this is an interesting statement as we begin to look at church, assembly, and sanctification. The we part of this and the theology of tools. Here's the first statement I'll make to you. Assembly is required. Smile, right? Assembly is required. Any thoughts on that? Some assembly is required, definitely. And even if that is, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, even if it is just as we uh, meet here online, that's still an assembly while we have to do it this way. That's, this is not the way that we're going to do it forever, church. Right, absolutely. And why is that assembly required? Because it's the we. We're back to it, right? We're, we're, we're back to we. We have to understand what is going on in this, okay? Now, the real question that begins, or, or the series of questions that begins, and this is where it gets really fun to me, because I, uh, I have told you guys before that I am like this eternal two-year-old in that I love to ask why, 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 why. I love questions. It's really important to me. So the first question that we would ask is, okay, Nathan, assembly is required, but where? Where do we assemble? Can't we congregate online? Well, we'll get to that. Uh, question number two, is online, is online the place that we can come together? Yes, it is a place we can come together. Is how we meet regularly, this is another question, in a building, right? Is that uh, correct to begin with? And, and if that is correct to begin with, how do we know that what we do on a Sunday morning in a building that we call church, right, uh, how do we know that that's correct? If it's not correct, why in the world do we do it, <laughs> right? There's, there's a whole lot less money to be spent if that is not uh, a thing that must happen. Or the next question, if, if it is neither correct nor incorrect to meet in a building or online, if it doesn't matter, um, then, then how do we accomplish the goals of stimulating one another on towards love and good deeds? Let me, let me target those questions really quick. I think the where is going to be answered in the theology of tools, okay? We're going to ask, what is the mission and the vision of the church? In this context, uh, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Where we meet the tool we use should be determined by whether or not it can actually accomplish the goal, 
okay? This shouldn't be too hard for us to think through. Number two, if online is possible, then how do we use that better? Number two, if we're meeting in a building on a regular basis and that is a necessity according to the scripture, how do we know that that's true? Well, the scripture would tell us, and this is where we get the ideas of meeting together, is that people broke bread from day to day, uh, in house, from house to house, uh, and in the temple. Some people ask the question, I love this question, they say, how frequently should we meet? I'm only coming to church twice a month or something like this. Well, you're not keeping with the New Testament, let me tell you. Because if you really want to go with the New Testament, uh, let's hang out every day. You ready for that? Because I don't think you're ready for that. But, but what I am saying is that we see in the Didache, we see clearly recorded in, uh, in uh, church history, and we see it in the scriptures. They met day to day, and they went to the temple at the times of prayer, and they rejoiced. Of course, there's context there. But these are important matters to consider when we're talking about how often we should meet. Where did they meet? It's undeniable as well, according to the scriptures, that there was a house. And don't think for a second that a house was buildingless. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. That was a building. Just because it's called a house doesn't make it uh, more sacred, okay? And they went to the temple. Why did they go to the temple? Because this is the extension of an ancient faith, not the creation of a new faith, right? Jesus was the Jewish Messiah who saved the world. Uh, this is really important. He didn't come to found Christianity. So here's, here's where I land, and, and I want to hear your thoughts when we get into theology of tools here. Here's where I land. I don't think either of them is always the correct place, I think meeting in a physical location as well as online are two separate tools that accomplish certain things. That's why we have to turn our attention towards tools. So just very clearly, I think meeting and assembling physically is necessary according to the church. I think what we're doing now is a reality we're living in, okay? And I think it can accomplish some of these things. But make no mistake, we will never, ever be free from assembling face-to-face -face with one another. There's something about this. Tina Estes sent me a, an article this week in which uh, the article said that the feeling we're all feeling right now uh, is call, it has a name, and it is grief. Do you know what we're grieving? We're grieving coming together. We're grieving physical contact. Church, it's, it's been two weeks, and we're grieving physical contact. The scientists, the psychologists, everybody in our day-to-day -day will prove this. They will tell us social media, not all bad, not all bad. We're probably more connected than we've ever been before in human history, but we're also seeing heightened rates of depression and anxiety and all of that, and the answer to why that is is because we're not physically connecting with each other. We're not coming together. So, and this, again, you, do, you don't have to take a preacher's word for it. Look it up. Study science. Study psychology. You'll find they know that this is a problem. The, the world at large knows that this is a problem. So coming together physically, never going to change. We're always going to need to do it. But there are opportunities for us to use this tool online. We just have to use it wisely. And we're going to get to why we're bringing this up as we, as we move forward today. So a theology of tools. Okay. So if you 
if you look at the circumstances that we're in right now, there are challenging things about doing some of the things that Scripture clearly tells us to do. So how, how can we, on a, in an online forum, how can we spur people on to love and good deeds? That becomes a little bit, a little bit challenging. The word spur is an active uh, verb, and it's defined. I love the Merriam-Webster. <laughs> I, I, I don't go apart from what the Scripture says about a word, but I like Merriam-Webster. And it says, it, it defines the word spur as to incite to action or accelerated growth or development. That's a pretty darn good descri description of spurring someone to love and good deeds. Now, maybe temporarily we can do that online. And that may be through a phone call to someone who's not watching via the internet. That can be to uh, a family member that you can't reach out and physically be with at this time. So there are ways that you can still do that. We should be encouraging people, no matter what the circumstances are. But but it's but this is not permanent. For uh, this this is not a permanent situation. That and this is also another reason that we should be daily daily praying that God bring this virus to a quick end and, and asking God to do that for us. There are challenging things. Can we still do them? Can we still spur one another on to love and good deeds in online? We absolutely can. We have to change the tool that we use yeah. to do it. I, I, think the, I think the better way to look at this is to replace online with uh, the term book. Okay, replace online with the term letter. Replace online or Facebook with uh, an email or something like this. Here's the truth. The Bible is a group of people encouraging and spurring the church on to love and good deeds through a unique tool like a book or a letter written to the church. Can we use Facebook for that? Can we use YouTube for that? Of course we can. The danger is when we only use one. The danger is, is when we say, cool, we can do online church from now on. That means I'm unplugging forever. I can be in here on my couch with my cup of coffee and my donuts, and we'll have donut church like I shared with you years ago. No, 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 no. Is it a cool tool? I like, can it be I like donuts. I don't even want to hear it, okay? So I don't even want to hear it. So can we do donut church? Well, you can, um, but... Shame on you, okay, <laughs> right? This is, this is not good. But we have to be wise in our theology of tools. We have to realize online forum, it can encourage us just the same way a book does. There's no physical person there. But if you do one to the exclusion of the other, you're shortchanging yourself. Uh, the second one, can we hold one another accountable? That, there's another piece to the church. And man, I hate to do this to you guys, but I'm going to step on some toes right here in a second, okay? And I want to challenge you, I want to challenge you with this because the answer, the answer that I believe we're going to find on can we hold each other accountable online, whether we know this or not, is no. We don't. Can we is a different question. Do we? Answer is no. But I'm going to let Barney share with you for a, for well, a brief second. The first thing that concerns holding someone accountable online or, or 
any time is mean that means that you've been living life with them. And if you weren't doing that before the coronavirus, you're probably not doing that now for sure. Yeah, and shame so, on pastors for our position that if we're trying now to do all these things online when we didn't have that place in people's lives before, amen. then we have to repent and we have to get this right. Yeah, so you, living life online means that, or living life with them means you're going to be close enough to them to be able to speak into their life. If you're not, if you're not living life with them, they're not going to take you speaking into their life. So the problem with, with this is if all we ever see is someone on a screen, if all you ever see is go on YouTube or go on Facebook and see us giving you uh, uh, lessons in life and what God wants you to do, then are we really living life with you? So are we really a part of their life? So this is going to beg another question that, that, that we're going to ask later on, but I want you to think about that. We don't have the privilege of meeting with an entire church right now. And it is a privilege, folks. I want yeah. you to know that it is absolutely, absolutely. a privilege. But we don't have that right now. Yeah. In an, in an online world, uh, it's, you can't read body language. Yeah, I can't see when your disposition is, is broken or hurting. I can't see that. And as a matter of fact, if we're just thinking online, most of the time what we do is we post the awesome part of our life and not the horrible part of our life. Now, could we remedy that through video? I'm sure we could. But make no mistake, there is a phenomenon that happens that when you're observed, that is when a video is playing or when you know that people are watching, you can change. You tend to put on a show and it, be, it can be... Uh, it can be, um, uh, it can hide who you are or what's really going on. So can we hold each other accountable? I told you I was going to punch you in the nose here in a second. So, so here, let me punch you in the nose for real quick. Um, can we hold each other accountable online? The answer is yes. Do we? The answer is emphatically no, and here's why. We have made the internet, Facebook, and YouTube our positive, encouraging, safe space. Okay? Don't you dare post anything negative because I don't want to hear it. That, that's what people do. Or if it's not funny, we don't want it, okay? It was three days, church, into our quarantine, and everybody was going, okay, enough coronavirus reports. Send me the 56th picture in your photo feed. You don't want to see the 56th picture in my photo feed. You know what? You want to know why? Because I took a screenshot of a coronavirus article. That's why you don't want to see that. But my point is still the same. What's happened is we don't want anything negative coming on online. So here's the punch in the nose. This week, just this week, no names. I won't even tell you if they go to our church or not. I got a lot of friends that go to different places. I have seen, and I'm going to hit men with this really quick. While you're not being held accountable with uh, uh, you know, your, your friends in church, uh, the tendency in this seclusion, in this isolation, in this idleness, for you to get online and watch pornography is greater. Knock it off, okay? Knock it off. It's a problem. Okay, but here, here's what I've seen. Here's what I've seen this week, and I just want to kind of, okay, women, two posts this week, two posts this week, going on and on about a guy who is not your husband, that is not fully clothed, let's just say he's, he's attractive, let's just say that. And then everybody talking about how they would like to have no social distancing with that guy right now. This is lust. You are looking at something other than your husband. 
and these people are Christians. What in the world? Here's what will happen if I call that out online. You'll unfriend me, you'll block me, and I'll never see you again. Let's be honest. Can we hold each other accountable? We can. Do we? No. Because all we want is positive and encouraging safe space online. Listen, the tool is okay. The user is the problem inside of this. Do we confess our sins online? Well, that's an interesting, that's an interesting one. <laughs> Go for it, it Barney, right it now. I'd like for you to that, do it. It may be that some do. This can seem weird at best. It can, it can seem weird. Uh, can it be implemented if we have unusual circumstances like we have now? It can be. Certainly it can be. But humans were made for interaction. And, we, uh, and interaction with other humans, not necessarily interactions with a phone or a screen. Galatians 6.2 says this, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. I, if I haven't been living life with you before the coronavirus, I doubt that I'm going to be able to bear a burden with you during the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. We, we need to be living life with people. We'll get back to be a, being able to do that, church. We will. But when we do, please, please, please remember that it is a privilege, privilege to go up and hug somebody. A privilege to go up and shake hands with somebody. It's a privilege. Yes, absolutely. So, so do we confess our sins online? Uh, can we? Yes. Do we? Again, it's a different question. Can we? Yes, sure. Do we? No. Because here's what people will do online. They'll say, nobody's perfect. You, you know that's not confession, right? <laughs> right? You, you know all that you've admitted is, well, we're people, Right? Did you think I was going to say anything else? Yes, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Right. So uh, just to say nobody's perfect is not a confession of your sins. For you to say, honey, I lied to you this week. Uh, uh, honey, I was, I was lusting. I was looking at something that I shouldn't be looking at. Do you confess online? Because that is the trick. That is the trick. And most likely not. And I understand why. I'm not advocating you go out and just throw all your sins online. I'm telling you that online is not the tool for it. And confessing your sins is a part of what the church does. And therefore, online cannot always be church. Do you see it? You connect in the dots here because this is so important. Can we confess our sins? Sure. Most likely, we won't have many friends after that, or we'll have all kinds of negative problems going on online. Do we confess our sins? We don't confess our sins online, and we have lots of reasons for it. What I'm trying to tell you is that it's not a good tool for the confession of sins. This is where being together with people is required. You need to come together with individuals. So how about breaking bread? Okay, we're going to just end this one quickly. No, you can't do it online. Okay, Barney. A, a few weeks back, I, I, had, uh, I had talked a little bit about having a virtual, a virtual pastor, and I asked, okay, if you've got a virtual pastor, if you have somebody on YouTube or Facebook that you watch all the time and you don't go to church, uh, why don't you have that pastor serve you a communion meal? Well, we've been learning recently that maybe – Maybe the way that we've been doing it has been skewed or we haven't had a full under understanding of what that's supposed to look like. But another question is that relates to this exactly is how is it 
How is it a communion meal should be a fellowship? We've talked a lot about that. How do we have fellowship with each other without human interaction? It's like you just, you just can't. We see that our current circumstances uh, are certainly dictating how we have church, how we interact with each other. There are family members that you can't go to their home right now. You have to call them on the phone or FaceTime them. The, the circumstances that we're in right now are dictating how we have fellowship. But, and we're going to have to make some temporary adjustments to, to stay in, in life with each other. And we're go, but if we don't do that now, my goodness, what are we going to talk about when, it's, when, we, when we are able to go see somebody? This should change how we're thinking. Yeah. I think the idea of breaking bread online where we just use a piece of bread and, and some juice or some wine, I think, it, I think it plays into the misconception of what communion is about to begin with. Communion is breaking bread together. It is a bond of fellowship with others. We, we can't just watch a screen and think that we're doing that together. There's something more going on there. And, and listen, the, the Bible would would uh, would flesh this out for us if we if we really think it through that uh, yes there is a big C church in which as we take communion we're all participating in that one greater body but uh, the breakdown of time zones and the breakdown of days of the week when people celebrate shows that it's not happening all together don't conflate that we're all in this together with we're actually together. We're not. And communion has a togetherness, a physical togetherness principle that is deeply attached to it. So, so there, there again, what we're, what we're getting at is, is online a valid tool for this? The answer is no. It, it's not a valid tool for this, which means, is communion a component, which, which then begs the question, is communion a component of church? The answer is yes. Therefore, can you do church? What is the church? And the answer is, well, it's not online in this context. It's not online in this context. So uh, does online or in-person church allow you to experience the fullness of the body? Now, this is where it gets really interesting and, and kind of tricky. Uh, if, if it doesn't allow you to experience, uh, how, many of expressions, how many expressions of church do we need to experience everything? Well, well, let's just think about this. The body of Christ, and you're going to speak to the Corinthians piece on this, but the body of Christ is made up of many individual parts, okay? How is it that we believe, even now, uh, that we are experiencing the fullness of church even when we come to a physical building by only hearing the preacher and only experiencing worship. Now let me kind of zoom in on this for a second. Let's just put uh, body parts with those two pieces. And I, just, just for the sake of the argument. If the preacher is the mouth, just obviously that idea, and the worship is the heart of the church because that should be the heart of the church to worship God. If you experience the mouth and the heart, do you ever go anywhere? You can't because you have no feet, right? Do you ever reach to anywhere? No, because you have no hands. Even in, even in church where we gather together in a building, I would argue we are not experiencing the fullness of the church. And the reason why is because we're obsessed with this idea of a representative helping us out. You know that the church doesn't work like our government? The church, is not the church is not a representative republic. Here's what I mean by that. The pastor does not represent encouragement and accountability for everyone. 
It's not the way the Bible sets it out. The Bible says that we are to spur one another on. We are to encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and all of that. We've got to remember, it's not just in the pastor. Now, you knew I was going to have to say this. Do you need a pastor? Yes, yes. The Bible says that God gave those to the church for a purpose. That's, that's it, okay? I want you to understand we all have a purpose. Mine is not, mine is not better. Uh, it might be more public. But it's not, it's not better. It is necessary. So, so what we do is we think something is representative of us. Oh, the worship team sang for us today. Therefore, my worship happened. No, 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 no. <laughs> you need to be encouraging people with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You need to be singing with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. You need to be uh, out there acting, ho- walking in holiness, not acting, but walking in holiness in the world because this is true worship. This is what God has called us to. You know, I agree with you, Nathan, that online doesn't allow for the fullness of the body for obvious reasons that we've described. And so what about that in-person experience? What about that being with each other? If we're, if we're not in fellowship with each other under normal circumstances, whose fault is that? It's not God's fault. If we, don't, if we go back to the same way of doing church and never change and understand that, that we have been given an opportunity to see what it's like to not experience that, my goodness, we've lost a valuable lesson here. If it, one thing that's, that's happened during this quarantine or others have described it as staying healthy at home, and, that, and that's great. It, but, but one thing that it's clearly doing that I think will help is it, it should be making us keenly aware of our need for each other. Amen. First Corinthians that you mentioned, First uh, Corinthians 11, Paul was telling the church about the, 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 he was telling the church at Corinth about the importance of order in the church, the importance of spiritual gifts, and guiding them in the right mindset and procedure for the Lord's, for the, for the Lord's Supper. Then in 1 Corinthians 12, he jumps into an interesting topic here. He talks about the importance, as you talked about, of each part of the body. How that one member cannot function without the others. Then in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, he hits us with this. But now God, who has placed, placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Just as he desired. It's God's desire that the body of the church Amen. function the way that he says it is. It's clearly God's desire. Then in, in, in verses 24b through 26, he says, But God has so composed the body. God has done this now. This Keep that so in good. mind. This is so good. Giving more abundant honor to what member w- which lacked, so that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I, I, I can't do that outside of being with you. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Folks, we're, we're, we're doing online church because it's, it's needful right now. It, it will not always be needful, but God forbid that we go back to doing church, meeting with each other, 
meeting with people in a building and not have fellowship and not live life like we believe that we're part of a body that needs each other. Even, even still on that, uh, it would be bad for us to go back and to not learn the lesson of what it feels like to have that contact taken away from Amen. us. When we take that for granted, right? What's the old adage? You, you don't know what you've got until mm-hmm. it's gone. And, and so we are experiencing it now. The reason why we're actually bringing this up at this point is because we want to set a, a right theology of tools. We want to understand this well so that we as a church cannot take for granted Absolutely. the assembling Amen. of the saints. Again, all of us are feeling that grief we talked about before. All of us are feeling that distance. I mean, maybe the introverts are fine. I don't know. But, but, the, but the, I think that all of us are struggling with that, you know, and we need that. And so we want to we want to hit this way before it gets back to normal and we don't give our attention to it. We don't, we don't uh, come back with a right focus to say, I want to take this seriously. I want to value this. I want to rejoice in everything that God has, has made for us. So, so in the beginning of this, we had a thesis uh, idea here and that was, what does it mean to assemble together? I think what we're seeing is that assembling together means carrying out the biblical principles that are established for us. Will the tool we're using allow us to do that? If not, throw the tool down. Yes. Use another tool, okay? And then we, we wanted to talk about the sanctifying principle. And here's what I want you to know. In light of what Jesus did so that we might come cleansed, right, to the meeting place, the mercy seat, the place where God delivers or disseminates mercy. Uh, Since Jesus did what he did, we ought to take this seriously and encourage one another and love one another and do all these things. In doing that, we are being sanctified. We are growing and learning and, and experiencing more and more of what Jesus has planned for us. How many of you know that when we engage with one another and we can't lie through a Facebook post, <laughs> when we can't, when, when our body language says life is really hard right now and I need help, how many of you know that that is the most sanctifying and humbling experience mm-hmm. In our life, because we have to be honest at that point. I can't hide behind a keyboard uh, in, in some of these expressions mm-hmm. of church. It's really important. So, so here's the analogy. Um, if, if you had nails to drive into a board, you would not use a screwdriver, would you? No, you would not use a screwdriver. If you had screws to drive into a board, you wouldn't use a hammer, would you? I'm not asking whether or not you could in either of those situations, but you wouldn't use it. And here's why, and this really speaks, I think powerfully, to the reality of the tools we use and why we use them. If you try to drive a nail into a board using a screwdriver, you won't be able to accomplish the goal. This is what I feel many pastors do with online church. I think they're trying to accomplish the goal of the church by driving nails in using a screwdriver. You can't do it. I also believe that some pastors do the opposite, and that is they're trying to drive in a screw. This is a little bit more precise, but they're using a hammer. And guess what happens when you use the wrong tool there? You damage the material. If we're not careful as pastors, if we're not careful as the church, if we use the wrong tool, we can either be of no effect or we can damage 
the resource. We can damage the person because that's what we're really dealing with here. We can damage the individual. Uh, heaven forbid we would actually do that. Amen. That can't be who we are. So uh, again, the question that, that kind of arises in this is, Nathan, why, Barney, why hit us with this right now? We can't meet. Are you, are you telling us we're in sin right now? No. I think God has grace and he has mercy for us in unique times. We are in unique times. I don't, I don't know how to explain what's going on here. This is the same as could Paul worship while he was in prison? Of course he could. Uh, this is like asking, could Joseph still be a devout Jew while in Egypt? Of course he could. Could David do the same thing while in Babylon? Could all of, they couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't do sacrifices. Yes, of course, you can still be faithful. What we're in right now is a weird time in which we have to just show ourselves faithful in what we're doing. But when we come back together, we can't use this as an excuse for, I'm only going to show up to church twice a month. I'm only going to show up to church when I'm online. Listen, if you're sick, if there's something that forbids you from getting somewhere, you're, you're a part of our, our elderly congregation and you can't get here, we love you. We love you deeply. Do, do what you have to do. And God has mercy in those situations. But if you have no reason... I'm just going to be straight with you. You're, you're playing games. You're, you're just playing games with what God has called you to do. There are things the church is trying to accomplish that we're supposed to accomplish together, and we simply can't accomplish all things with the same tools. So if we don't prepare for this now, what's going to happen is we're going to slip back into yes. complacency. Yes. So what we want to do is we just want to prepare your hearts for this by establishing a healthy theology of tools. The Internet is valuable. It's useful. So is church. So is church. And you have to be able to employ both of those in order to uh, really experience everything that God has for us. So in this time, it's very difficult to see good coming from what our circumstances are right now. But what will our excuse be, Nathan? What will it be if when we go back to physical meeting, we don't show up? What's that, what's that going to be? What's that excuse? This present circumstance should certainly teach us, if nothing else, that it is a privilege to be able to meet, to have fellowship with one another. We should never, never forget this, church. We should never forget this. If there's a positive lesson to be learned, it is that God has certainly showing us what it means to be part of a body that needs each other, a part of a body that God said he desired it to be that way. We should never forget this. Church, we are so glad that you uh, have joined us today, and I want, to, I want to keep this conversation going as we go throughout this week. So if you have questions about this, or if you have thoughts about this kind of theology of tools and, and what is necessary to accomplish all that God has for us, I want to hear about it. I want to hear your questions. I want to hear your thoughts on it. You can, you can contact me at nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com. You can send a message to Barney at barneyestes at yahoo.com. So mine is nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com and Barney's is barneyestes at yahoo.com. But we want to hear from you. We want to talk about these things in a... Um, in a more full way. We want, to, we want to have a better understanding because I think a lot of people in the church, I think a lot of times people are fighting over things that they just need to think through a little bit better. They just need to think through a little bit better. We have amazing tools at our disposal. 
We ought to use those because they are, in some ways, the wealth of God. God has given us so many things, and it's amazing. But we ought to use those tools wisely. We ought to be honest and say, if those tools don't work for accomplishing the goal, we should lay the tool down, and we should pick up the tool that is right for us. My last uh, statement to you uh, is actually for all of those who watch our services online, who, um, who don't uh, either go to a church, don't go to another church, are distant, you love, you love the community that maybe you were once a part of, and you still watch online. Here, here's my encouragement to you. Number one, keep watching because we like to hear from you and we like to talk to you. But number two, find a local church. Find a local church. Any, any pastor who believes that they're the only ones who gets it right and nobody else gets it right is probably a cult leader anyway, so you should be careful on that. Sorry, a little joke in there. But what I, what I am getting at is that you ought, to, you ought to find a local church where you can be held accountable, where people can see when you're hurting, when you're broken. Uh, if you're a person who is, who is uh, you know, uh, kind of quarantined all the time, maybe you're elderly, maybe you just can't, there's things that prevent you from getting out. Reach out to your local church. Reach out to us. We have a responsibility to engage with you in a physical way. That, that way we can see what's going on inside of your life. So we want to do that. But if you're online, find a local church. You can be encouraged by these messages and by our worship and by those things because after we go back to regular, uh, regular way of doing things, we're going to continue to share encouraging messages and all of those things to people who want to watch them or maybe to our church who wants to re-watch them and, and catch up on what they, what they missed. Maybe it's vacation or something like that. But listen, find a local church. You need people to walk through life with. You need them. We all do. It's absolutely non-negotiable because what we learned today is assembly is required. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. We love you. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.